What's up, guys? Welcome. This is Michael Bohm with Youth Apologetics Training. Today we're going to continue on with the uh, expositional study through 2 Peter, recorded at a Calvary Chapel in Berthid, Colorado, with tens and tens of people in attendance. Uh, <laughs> it was a good time. Uh, today is going to be part four. There's only a couple more after this one. And like I said before, I'm going to kind of mix in some other podcasts as well. Uh, I have a couple podcasts uh, recorded in the bag from Bob Sorensen talking about logical fallacies. I thought it was going to be one episode. It turned out to be two. It was a lot of fun talking to Bob. Uh, so those look forward to those coming up pretty quick here. But yeah, whatever the case, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last time uh, with these expositional studies through Second Peter uh, today's kind of a fun one. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. So last time we uh, talked about Second Peter, we were in chapter 2. We made it three verses. Tonight we're going to breeze through the entire chapter 2. So it's going to be a whirlwind. But it, you know, it, it, it's actually fairly simple of a chapter. It's tying together this whole, again... Let's go back to the context of 2 Peter. It was towards the end of Peter's life. And so Peter knows he's going to be dying soon. And I think at this point, whether he knows for sure he's going to be crucified, or at this point he's not totally sure, it's kind of hard to say. But uh, whatever the case, something weird is happening. (laughs) Don't touch your phone. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he knows that his time is coming and his message gets really urgent. Uh, and so three things he really beats home is the importance of solid biblical doctrine, false teachers, a warning against false teachers, and then also a warning of judgment to come. And so that's where we pick up today. Uh, Last week, we talked a whole lot about false teachers and a whole lot about the things that happen with these false teachers. Um, This week, it starts right off with judgment. And so starting in verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 3, I'm going to backtrack a verse. And through covetousness shall they, these false teachers, with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not. And their damnation slumbers not. For, and here we start, we start with a a logical argument that Peter starts making. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah and the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an an example unto those that after should live ungodly and deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy uh, conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds." Okay, so I'm going to backtrack quite a bit. But basically, if, if God will judge the angels, how much more will he judge his people who claim to be his representatives and totally misrepresent him? Okay, 
So now let me backtrack here and look at these angels because this is kind of a rabbit trail and I won't go down it very far, but as far as I can tell, okay, and, I, and this is not a hill that I will die on, but this sin, these angels that, that uh, are talked about in verse 3 and 4, mainly verse 4, that were cast down to hell in the chains of darkness, I think that's referring to these angels in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, there is a situation where it says the sons of God, Benai Elohim, uh, found that the women were fair and went in unto them and had offspring. And they were giants. And that's where we get this concept of uh, well, Goliath. Og of Bashan, Goliath's four brothers. You guys ever wonder why Goliath picked up five smooth stones? And you're like, man, did he ha- really have solid faith? And then you come to find out Goliath had four brothers. He was ready for them. That's kind of cool. You can have that one for free. But anyway, um, every time you hear Benai Elohim in the Old Testament, it's, it's speaking of angels. So it's, it's just a really bizarre Situation there, and I don't want to go down that rabbit trail too far. But anyway, moving forward, um, in verse, uh, well, actually, yeah, God judges his angels, and that, that should be a concern for us because there's so many people, so many of us, I shouldn't say us, so many Christians out there that are teaching very false doctrine and um, are leading people astray in major, major ways. Some of it a little less than others. I mean, I don't think any of us have it all figured out. You know what I mean? But some of these guys are teaching some nasty stuff. And they're about to receive theirs. Their judgment slumbers not, as the scriptures say. And so, moving on to verse 5. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, Indulge me again as I go down another rabbit trail, just for a second, because I found something as I was studying through this that I thought was kind of interesting. The word flood, cataclysmos, uh, I don't know if I actually pronounced that right, but it means global flood. And in Second Peter, the flood is brought up two different times. It's going to be brought up again next week when we're in chapter 3, and in chapter 3, it's actually in context of false teachers. And in the latter times, there will be those who will come uh, saying, where's the promise of a second coming? And also denying the flood. Now, there are, I, I don't know if I would call them false teachers. I know they're believers. But there's a lot of Christians out there that deny a global flood. They actually believe it was a local flood, which doesn't make any sense. Why would Noah build an ark, first of all? You know, why didn't God just say, Noah, I'm going to flood this area. You need to move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why the ark? Secondly, why, how could you possibly have water covering the highest mountains for 150 days if it was a local flood? It just doesn't make any sense. There's so much more to talk about there, but I just thought I'd bring that up, that cataclysmos, it always means a global flood world, worldwide. There is another Greek word, for a local flood, and that's not being used there. So, anyway, uh, moving on, verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to, constru- to destruction, making them an example 
to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So, Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other judgments, you know, the flood, these were examples of what's to come. I guess that you could call that another argument for a global flood. You know, Jesus says that he will not destroy, or God says he will not destroy the earth with another flood. Well, dude, we've had a lot of floods. We've had some floods locally uh, over the last few years. Uh, Texas is having some minor little flooding right now. (laughs) So uh, that statement makes no sense at all if it was just a little local flood. So uh, another thing that I think is kind of interesting in that passage is that Lot is referred to as righteous. And... Okay, this is the guy that took his daughter when the house was surrounded and all these savages outside who want to do whatever, and he throws her out there to protect the angel. And I don't know about you guys, but what? (laughs) Whoa, okay. And, And so in a weird kind of way, in a Mike kind of way, that gives me comfort because... Lot is referred to as righteous. That just shows you. And we have people in the Bible like David, who is a man after God's own heart. But then he goes and, you know, he looks off the roof and sees Bathsheba in a bath. Maybe that's where that word came from. I don't know. And decides to commit adultery with her. When, she, when Then when he finds out she's pregnant, he has her husband killed. Now, none of us have gone that far, I would think. But that's, that is the power of God to redeem. That's all I'm saying. Conversely, I mean, you know, we shouldn't be looking at people like David and Lot and saying, well, I'm not as bad as that, so I've got to be fine. That's not a healthy way to look at it. I'm just saying Christ's blood is sufficient. Okay? Paul, who was uh, uh, persecuting God's people, he was having Christians killed, got saved. He's definitely, he's redeemed, and he is saved. And that is so comforting that it doesn't matter how big of sins you have in your past, Christ's blood is sufficient. That is cool. On the other hand, we, yeah, we should not be looking at these sins and thinking, well, I'm not as bad as them, so I must be all right. Uh, God calls us to be perfect. Matthew 5.48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's pretty hard. I don't know about you guys. I think I'm pretty perfect, but I know that none of you guys are, so just saying. But that's something we, sh- we should be striving for. Just want to throw that in there. And so uh, moving on, Lot, his soul was tormented. And I think it sounds like it's really coming down up there. My truck's getting hailed on. Um, oh man! Yeah, those are just sound effects. If you're listening on the internet, yeah, those are our special effects for the teaching. So yeah, Lot's soul was tormented, uh, and so he's looking at the lawless deeds going on around him, 
And it really bothers him. It torments and vexes his soul. And I wouldn't say this is a bona fide, you know, 100% proof of a person's salvation. But I think it's one particular fruit of someone's salvation. That if you're looking around at the world around you and you're rejoicing in the sin, there's probably a problem. If you're looking around at the world and seeing all the sin and it just vexes you, it torments you, there's, that's probably the Holy Spirit working in you. And that's a good thing. So just want to throw that in there as well. So moving on to verse 8 and 9. Lot's righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Oh, I kind of overlapped there. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So... Uh, Another thing worth mentioning is that God can reserve us from or save us from our temptations. And I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but there's times where things get pretty, pretty intense. You're you're tempted to do various things. God doesn't save you out of it every time. You know what I'm saying? He can. He certainly can. But he doesn't every time. Uh, But that should bring you hope. That's something that we pray for. That's something that we should be fasting for. I mean, if you've got some temptations in your life that are really, you know, controlling you, that's something that you should engage in fasting for to to try and get delivered of that. And I don't mean that in the way of like some demons on your back and you're getting delivered. I mean that God can deliver, deliver you from these issues, from these sins. And so moving on to verse uh, 10 and 11 but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and, dest- and despise government. Presumptuous they are, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Okay, so we're going to camp on this spot for a few minutes because as I was reading through this, every time I pass through this, this particular part of chapter 2, Danielle's heard this. As we were driving up to Vail, this last weekend, um, it was just bugging me, because it's like, okay, let me read this following passage, and then you guys can feel the heat. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. As they that count it pleasure or, or count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. That's some pretty rough language right there. I'm looking at it going, whoa. So two burning questions here. I mean, if somebody can be uh, receiving the reward of unrighteousness for speaking evil of dignitaries, the two burning questions. What is the dignitary? What is that? And what does it mean to speak evil of them? I mean, is this like, you know, when you're watching the news and a particular guy in office that most of us aren't fond of starts saying something that you know is a lie because when he speaks, he's lying. And you say something, is that speaking evil of dignitaries? You know what I'm saying? Because if so, we're all in a lot of trouble, okay? We all need to think about how we're talking, 
so this really bugged me. And, and I just kept going over and over. Well, who are these dignitaries? And what does it mean to speak evil of them? Well, there is a parallel passage in Jude that I'm sure Glenn went over. And um, it's interesting, too. Just as a side note, you can tell the Holy Spirit is in charge of the Scriptures because this parallel passage is so identical to what we're reading in Peter. I mean, either Jude got together with Peter and they copied each other, or something's going on here, Holy Spirit-wise. And so, uh, Jude chapter... Anybody know what chapter it's in? Jude chapter 1. Verse 3. There it is. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I'll stop there for a second. Here we got Jude again with this urgent message. He starts off with, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I think that's awesome. Verse 4. I just want to see if that's still on the screen. I can't even see that. Okay, verse 4. Um, for there are certain men in certain men crept in unawares, these would be your false teachers, who were before of old ordained to the condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord and our Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. So here we, we go into, we start with false teachers, and now we're going into this judgment of the false teachers. And the angels, now we've got angels being brought into the story, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under, under the, unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, here we go, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries, or dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses and did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, and what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Korah. So, that gives us a little bit to work with here. Between Peter and Jude, there's something going on that we can, we can cross-reference back and forth. Before we get too much into that, though, I want to define what dignities is. Oh, I think I skipped one there. My, oh, there it is. Dignities. Greek, doxa. Uh, most of the times when it shows up in the New Testament, it's translated as glory. Okay? 
sometimes glorious honor, praise, worship. Okay? So uh, these would be those in positions of honor worthy of glory, worthy of praise in many instances. Okay, but not always. Because when you're looking at many of the different translations, and you can't trust a lot of them, um, you'll find that sometimes it's translated as rulers and those that are in authority, uh, also angelic majesties, celestial beings, uh, and sometimes just those whom honor is due. So it still doesn't totally rule out people that are in authority. It's, it's kind of an unsettling thing because, you know, we, we all have those moments when we might say something about somebody in authority. It kind of makes you sweat a little bit. Uh, what ev- okay, so speaking evil. What exactly does speaking evil mean? First, I will tell you what it does not mean. Uh, it does not mean uh, that you should not expose bad theology. Okay? So, we're told over and over in the scriptures. In fact, we just read Jude, chapter 1, verse 3, should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We also have Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them or expose them. So, it can't mean that. We certainly can point out the sins or the bad theology, the bad doctrine of others. So, that's fair game. Okay? We also know um, issues like, for instance, Paul withstood Peter to his face over a pretty serious issue where Peter was playing the hypocrite. We have Acts chapter 15 where there were the Judaizers, those of the circumcision that wanted to bring these new Gentile Christians under the law, and there was a big debate about that, uh, and their bad theology was pointed out and dealt with. Okay, so we're, we're clear there. Okay, it's also, oddly enough, it's not about naming names either. Um, many times in the scriptures, you have instances where people will point somebody out by name. Paul, he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. So we can name names. I can say Benny Hinn. I can say Rick Warren. I can say a lot of these guys' names. And I can point out their sins and their bad theology. Good there? Okay. What about this? Calling people names. Um, Oops. Going too far ahead here. Uh, This one's kind of interesting, too, because you have instances where, like, Jesus confronting the Pharisees. He's like, you den of vipers, you hypocrites, you fools. And, you know, he's actually calling them names. So ad hominem attacks, you know, to the man, these personal insults, although don't feel right, that's not what that's being talked about either. Okay? So now let's look at the word speaking evil. What is that? Uh, The word is blasphemeo. I'm sure you guys already kind of see where that's going. It's basically blasphemy. To vilify, to speak impiously, uh, blaspheme, defame, rail on, revile, and speak evil of. So, um, what do we do with this? Okay, How do we pull this all together? 
In context, what we see in both these passages right away is that angels are brought into this scenario. We also see that, you know, God doesn't like it when we start running our mouth about things we don't understand. There might be some bigger applications there, but in these, in context of these two passages, uh, we're, we're seeing that speaking evil, blaspheming, reviling, defaming, speaking impiously uh, about things that are sacred, even fallen angels, even the devil, is not really, I mean, that's something that really offends God. We clearly don't know what we're talking about. And that's, that's kind of uncomfortable. You know, when you look, going back to, in context, these false teachers, you see that going on today. In the church that our family attended, this very hyper-charismatic church, we would hear the pastor saying things from the podium like, uh, <clears throat> the devil is like a cheap attorney who's always there, you know, taking down the words you say and using them against you. And the devil's really stupid. He doesn't understand scriptures. And uh, when, you, <laughs> when you blow a shofar, you know, the ram's horn? When you blow a shofar, that scares the demons because they think that that means Christ is coming back. Like, really, you think they're that stupid. You know, they, they see a... You know, they're all cowering. Oh, here he's coming. He's coming. No, he's just playing his shofar again. You know, they do these things and they will rail on the devil. You will hear them. You hear it on TBN. You will hear it in these circles where they will rebuke the devil in their own flesh. It's not the Lord rebuke you. It is I rebuke you. I bind you. I do this. You evil devil, you. And they start throwing slander and, and reviling, and you're thinking, do you have any idea what you're doing? <laughs> you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And that's what that's talking about. Having said that, okay, I think that we should still take a little bit of caution. You know, Matthew Henry, he says it, he sees it a little bit differently. He does see it as, yes, they were speaking impiously or, or you know, reviling on these angels and the devil, okay, but he also throws a word of caution. And I think, I think it's something that we should heed. Because in the scriptures, we do see this concept of submitting to those who are in authority over you and showing them due respect and honor. So we really should kind of be watching our words. Okay? Uh, he says it this way, Not as if great men may not hear of their faults and public grievances by complaining be complained by proper persons in a de- and in a decent manner, but there must be a particular tenderness for the honor and reputation of those in authority more than of other people, because the law of God requires a, particularly re- a particular reverence to be paid to them as God's vice regents. It is of dangerous consequence to have those anyway countenanced who despise dominions and speak eagle, evil of dignities. So, yeah, there is a certain amount of respect that we should be showing towards those who are in authority. And, you know, it just makes sense. Uh, another thing that I think I glossed over that I should have mentioned too is that these false teachers, when you look at you know a lot of their their, their congregations, they are are uh, really quick to go after, to revile, and to speak evil of people who expose them. 
<laughs> and they will say nasty, mean things. It's not attacking our doctrine. They never engage on that battlefront. No, they just go right after the person. And, you know, like, for example, <clears throat> recently uh, uh, John MacArthur came out with his book, Strange Fire, where he exposed a lot of the, the craziness that goes around in these circles. And the words, the things that people were saying about him, blasphemy, speaking evil of him. They were, they were blasphemy-o-ing him. So, <laughs> I mean, they were being very irreverent and, and just, I mean, just mean. So... Anyway, uh, on a more practical note, I think this is worth mentioning since we're talking about our words and how we speak about those in authority. Ecclesiastes has a little bit of wisdom to, to, to speak as well. It says, curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Boom translation. I got this straight out of my own Bible that I wrote. <laughs> be careful. Be full of care for what you say on your devices, be it phone, social media, or email, for the NSA heareth it. Also, he that speaketh evil of his employer on Facebook findeth a new job. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so, okay, so... Yeah, we really should be minding our words. It's so, so important that we guard our tongues. And, and so much evil can be done with just the things we say. <laughs> Verse 12, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And, and so, uh, you know, Kind of a crude analogy here, but when you're having, there's been instances, not in my life, okay, but there's been instances where, like, perhaps you and your spouse might be having a little debate, right? And it's getting a little heated because you're both very passionate about your position. And then one of your children jump in and start weighing in. And you're like, you both stop, and you're like... <laughs> Get out of here! You know, not that we've, Danielle and I never disagree, and our children have never done that. I'm just saying. Anyway, it's a bad analogy, but I think it, it somewhat works. It's offensive to God when we start popping off and we have no idea what we're talking about. So, you know, again, you know, be careful what you say to these or about these dignities. So, uh, moving on. Actually, no, I want to I dwell on that for a second. Our, our tongues are very dangerous, okay? And, and you know, because you can say things, and once they come out, you can't take them back. I mean, you can say sorry, but stuff hits people, it sticks. And um, we're going to give an account for every idle word we speak, which I don't know about you guys, but is downright terrifying to me. Because I am the king of foot and mouth. My wife knows about this. I've got a lot better over the years. I really have. But, I mean, I will say things and it's like, Ooh, you know. And I'll give you a horrible example. This is bad. But uh, <laughs> I was, I think it was JCPenney's. We're standing in JCPenney's. This was years ago. But you know, just to illustrate how words can really devastate somebody, 
you really got to watch what you say. Here I'm standing there, you know, Danielle's at a rack, and she's like, you know, looking at all the clothes, and I'm like, you know, and pretty soon my eyes settle on this one shirt. And it was the ugliest shirt I've ever seen. And I'm like, man, you know, this is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. In fact, I I, I said this way. I said, who would ever buy this barf-tastic shirt? It was like, this is just the nastiest thing. And then I look over. And to my horror, there was a woman standing just feet away with that shirt in her cart. It was just like... (laughs) You know... I didn't even look at her face. I didn't even look at Danielle's face. She was probably like, you know, shooting lasers. And I fleed the scene of the crime. I was like, and I got out of there. But no, on a serious note, what did I just do to that lady? To this day, she might be messed up from that dumb comment that I let out. You know, so it's very serious. The things you say can have very devastating effects, and they can also have very uh, powerful blessings involved with them as well. So really, just watch what you say. You know, Matthew chapter uh, 12, verses 36 and 37, there it is. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words... You will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So, sobering. Uh, Verse 13. And we will receive the wages of unrighteousness. I'm sorry. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. We're still talking about false teachers here. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. So these guys were sinning out in the open, okay? Which in Roman culture, somebody, you know, when you say of somebody they sin in the daytime, that's basically saying they are of the lowest sinful state. I mean, it would be kind of like when you turn on the TV or something and you see this this gay pride parade going on and you've got all these guys walking up the street they're in their underwear and they're making out and they're kissing and it's all in the daytime they're all out in the open they have no shame and that's the same kind of concept it's it's sinning in the open and having no shame about it don't care no problem and um so moving on to verse 14 having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. So these guys, you know, uh, a lot of these new, I almost said new age teachers, these false teachers, sometimes they are new age, um, a lot of these false teachers, you can see characteristics in their life that are adulterous. Uh, you guys remember the Lakeland revival with Todd Bentley? Um, this was probably, oh man, that was probably good 10 years ago now. It's been a while. But uh, he was a guy that would, a huge revival, revival in Florida, Lakeland, Florida. And this is the guy that would walk out. People would come out on stage who, who needed healing. And he'd say, bam, you know, and he would punch some people. He actually 
punched somebody who ended up dying a few days later, kicked some other lady in the, in the stomach, an old woman in the stomach with his biker boot, punched another guy who fell down, his tooth flew out of his mouth. I mean, total circus fiasco. But this was a big deal. TBN was covering it. God TV was covering it. It was all the big thing. God's really moving. And then we find out uh, a, a few months into it that this whole time he was having an adulterous relationship with another woman. His real wife uh, is, has some kind of major physical handicap and is totally plagued with physical problems that you know Todd Bentley can't heal, apparently can heal everybody else but her. And he's got kids, and he's caught having an adulterous relationship. So the whole revival was shut down, and he divorced his wife. He married the other woman, and then was reinstated by Rick Joyner and a whole bunch of other false prophets, and was right back at it again. This is standard fare with a lot of these guys. Eyes full of adultery. Um, Also, they entice unstable souls, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons that come to your door. They're looking for people who don't know their Bibles. You know, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses in my living room. We set an appointment. They were going to come over and stay for a few hours. I made them brownies. We were going to talk. You know, it was going to be a good time. They walk in. One person starts talking and getting comfortable with me. The other person looks over at my bookcase and starts stewing. And then when there's a little gap in time, he looks over, and this was just within two minutes. He goes, are you a minister? And I'm like, no, not really. And he just looks over at the other one. He goes, we've got to go. Just stern, just like that. And I'm like, what are you doing? He, he, he lied to me and said somebody was waiting in the car for him. My dad was staying with us at the time. He went outside and looked. There was nobody in the car. But whatever the case, they look for unstable souls. And that's the same thing you find in a lot of these uh, false teachers' churches. They don't want you to study your Bible. Uh, in fact, I was ridiculed at our hyper-charismatic church for reading my Bible. Uh, I was accused of bibliolatry. And I was told that I read my scriptures too much and I need to learn to experience God. So, you know... Anyway, I mean, it just, man, it just fits. This description of these false teachers, it fits these, these groups. Hearts trained in covetous practices, we pretty much covered that. These guys are all about the money. Uh, you know, oh my goodness, it, it's, it's crazy just how greedy they can get. Um, so moving on to verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. And so um, Balaam, he did it for the prophet. He was, he was a prophet for profit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and a lot of these guys, same type of thing. They, they have their own prophecies. Again, it's by their own flesh. It's not by the will of God. But they will do it for hire. I mean, they will take money for these. Um, they'll take money for their, for their healings as well. Of course, you know, you've all heard about the different ministries that will send out a little prayer shawl to you. And then a little envelope saying, if you send us money, we'll be sure to pray and charge your prayer. Charge it up, you know, because it's got to get charged up with the powers before it'll actually help you get healed or anything like that. So, um, man, it's, it's, it's humorous, and you can't help but laughing, but it's so sad, too. 
It is so sad. Um, verse 17, their wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And, and I mean, when you sit under these pastors, they have nothing of real value to give you. I mean, we went there for, I don't know, six years, seven years. We rarely heard a sermon. He rarely had a Bible in his hand. Um, and when he did, he was taking it out of context somewhere. Um, and we went to so many conferences. Okay, so it wasn't just our little church. Everywhere we went, and all the little tapes I got my hands on, and CDs, and downloads that I could get, because I'm a podcast geek, there was no substance. There was no meat. There wasn't even any milk. There was hardly even milk. And when you look at these churches, when you get in there, the gospel is almost never even talked about. Okay, it, The only gospel you're going to get generally is from the praise and worship songs, which again, I love their praise and worship. It is a vice of mine. I love it. It makes me charismatic. I'm like, yeah. But anyway, I started running the aisles. But, uh, <laughs> but seriously, that's about the only gospel you're going to get is from the praise and worship songs. Um, it, it's kind of depressing. And then from there, it's, it's hype. And what can we experience from God today? So, wells without water. You know what I'm saying? It, they're clouds without a tempest. They, they look like they're going to bring some rain to the land and, you know, grow some plants and this, that, and the other, bless the land with rain. They have nothing. They have the appearance of being a godly man and they don't really offer anything of real substance to their people. Uh, great swelling words of emptiness. Uh, uh, verse 18, sorry. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So you got these great swelling words like we already talked about. There's really nothing to them. And they allure through the lusts of the flesh. And this is so true. When you get in these circles, um, some of the different lusts of the flesh, the prosperity gospel. You know, God's going to heal me and he's going to make me rich. You know, I mentioned the first or the second time I taught how my parents walked into a church in Arizona and the first thing that they were handed was a book on how to become a millionaire God's way. <laughs> we went to a conference in Kansas City and nearly the entire conference, three days, and all they talked about was money, alluring by the lusts of the flesh. Also, this healing in the atonement doctrine, that God's going to heal you. So a lot of these people, they show up to these churches and they just want to get healed. And I don't fault them for that. But these false teachers are alluring them. They're luring them in through the lust of the flesh. They're trying to get them in. They're promising them healing when they know they're not going to get healed. You know? Um, also, there's a lust for powers. You know, we, some of us are kind of in the uh, superhero generation here. You know, and, you know, we all secretly want to be a superhero, you know, and have these powers. Well, they also lure people in by this lust for power because they believe that you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all of these, like, really miraculous things. And they claim that they're happening. And I'm not shooting down the idea that God does heal people nowadays. He does. And miracles do happen 
the, the gifts of the Spirit, I believe, take place from time to time, but not in those circles. I'm not seeing it. It's not happening. Um, I mean, every time they open their mouth to prophesy, it ends up being false. And Well, you know, they get one right every once in a while. Broken clock is right twice a day. But, um, <laughs> well, Old Testament, what happens when you get a, a prophecy wrong? One prophecy wrong. You're stoned. And that's not the Colorado style. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, and their, and their church services are, are very similar to like a Broadway show in so many ways. I mean, it's, it's so orchestrated. It's so almost Hollywood-ized, you know? It's all about entertainment and fulfilling your lusts and then setting you out, you know, make some kind of call for some money and then send you out for the next week, and then you come back and give them more money. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of what you see. So, um, also, through lewdness, and, and when you look at the Greek of that, it actually seems to indicate through bad, almost, you know, uh, crude language, which is interesting, too, because nowadays a lot of these false teachers are not afraid to say some pretty risky things. <laughs> we Like even Mark Driscoll. A lot of you guys might even have a little bit of respect for the guy. He was known for the longest time as the cussing pastor because of his language. Uh, you know, there was a couple, uh, uh, Ed and Lisa Young, they did their sex experiment. He's the pastor and his wife. And they put a bed on the roof of their church and then stayed on the roof of their church. The whole town can see him in their bed for a week. Like, you know, what do you even say about that? Anyway, um, it, it also talks about those who have escaped, uh, escaped those who live in error. And that's just, you know, speaking about those of the world. We have this group of people who, uh, actually, let me read verse 19 so I can actually... I'll move on to verse 20 and 21, and that's actually where they talk about the fact that these people are entangled. uh, We're entangled in the world. They see Christ. They're lured to him, but they end up in the wrong church and what happens to them. But verse 9, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. When you sit under these teachers, you're brought into bondage. Doctrinally, you're brought into bondage, and we certainly were. And also socially, you're brought into bondage because you're stuck in a very cult-like atmosphere. I wouldn't call these movements a cult, but they fit. I, I did a series, a podcast series on signs of a cult, and I realized that most of these signs were what we were, they, they fit my church. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I did that for the youth group. The, before I did the podcast, and I was pastor of the youth group at that church, I did a series on signs of a cult. And as I'm teaching, I start sweating because I realize, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. The pastor found out about it. And after that, he said, you have to pass all your sermons through me. <laughs> he was mad because I had totally pretty much pointed out all the stuff that was going on. I didn't even realize I was doing it, too. That, that was the Holy Spirit at work. But anyway, um, 
Yes, doctrinally and socially, people are brought into bondage in these environments. Second uh, Peter chapter two, verse twenty and twenty-one: For if after they have escaped, this is depressing. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of unri- the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. This isn't saying they were saved and then they got unsaved. Uh, they were, you know, through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were drawn to him. They were drawn to the holiness of God. And they wanted to escape the lusts of the world and all the junk in their lives. Unfortunately, they went into the wrong church. And then as the previous verse mentions, they were brought into bondage by that pastor. And they, some people embrace it. And the latter end is worse than the, the first. They embrace that lust. They don't see anything wrong with it. And they teach it to others. They pass it on. There's others that slowly, as they're reading their scriptures, start going, well, there's something really fishy going on here. That doesn't jive with scripture. And pretty soon, you know, there's that, that critical breaking point at church where the pastor says that last thing. And it's just like, I'm done with this place. I'm so done with this place. And you get out. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened to us. Danielle was like, okay. <laughs> We're out of here. So anyway, yeah, we lost all of our friends too. We lost everybody. Pastor devoted a whole Sunday to slandering me and talking about how Danielle was the spirit of Jezebel and she was leading me away from the Lord and said that I wasn't saved. The whole Sunday message was against me. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he's talked about me many times since then, but he was mad. He was pretty mad. So uh, verse 22, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her, her wallowing in the mire. How's that for an illustration? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, if you guys have seen that actually take place, it's one of the most disgusting things ever. Watching your dog yarf up on the floor and then... And then he, and then he goes for it. And you're like, yeah, no, 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 oh, you know. <laughs> but that's how God sees it. When we we uh, finally escape our sins, whatever these you know temptations we have in our life, we all have our issues. And then all of a sudden, we go back to them. What are we doing? And. And God is using a, a, through Peter, of course, is using a very graphic illustration of just how disgusting that is to him. So that's, you know, that's the end of the chapter. Next week we'll be looking at, at uh, chapter 3, and we'll cruise through that. But the things that take away today is, is, is really three things that really matter. Doctrine matters. You know, what we believe Not only what we believe, but what we pass on to other people. Because our beliefs, if we're any kind of Christian at all, we're regurgitating it, we're teaching, we're passing it on to people around us. What you believe really matters to God. Our conduct as Christians 
matters. How we hold ourselves in front of the world. You know, how we look at work. You know, do we, do we cuss at work? You know, and I know cussing's kind of low in the totem pole here, but, you know, do we engage in filthy conversations? Do we lie at work? Your sins will find you out. If you're, if you're letting out little white lies at work, someone's going to catch you on one of them. And your witness just, it's gone. You know, <laughs> you've just destroyed your witness. And our words matter. So doctrine, conduct, and words. Our words matter. We need to be careful about things we say. We need to try not to put our foot in our mouth. We need to, um, you know, it, it, it really it just encompasses everything. Our tongue is like a, a rudder of a ship. And it can, it can send you into the rocks or it can keep you out in, in calm seas. You know what I'm saying? We need to be careful how we speak, what we talk about, you know, the words that escape our mouth, because we will be held accountable for every one of them. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity tonight to, to look at your word. We are so blessed that in this country we can still crack the Bible open in public and not be afraid and study your word and find out what you want from us. Uh, Father, tonight uh, we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to, to be better ambassadors for your kingdom. Help us to uh, uh, learn your ways, your doctrine, what you want from us. And, and Father, help us to conduct ourselves in a Christian way that we would be, again, good witnesses to people around us and not bad witnesses, Father. We don't want to uh, defame you in any way through our silly actions. And Father, please help us to guard our tongues, to keep our mouths clean uh, in the sense that we don't, we don't say things that we're going to have to give an account for. But rather, Father, help our, 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 our speech be peppered with truth and love and peace and, and all these things that you would have us to speak. We thank you for this time, Father. And we pray, Father, you would seal these things on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we'll stop right there. Uh, friends, next Monday, I'll probably be posting part one of the Logical Fallacies series. That'll be fun. Uh, that, that was really a good time talking to Bob Sorensen. So look forward to that. And with that, I love you guys. And we'll see you next week.